0: Folks, welcome to another edition of Drive Through Conversations, part of the Parking Lot Podcast. Today we have a very, very special guest, friend of the show, Elise Bailey. Would you like to introduce our guest a little bit?
1: Sadie is a recent Humber Film and Media Production graduate and she strives to direct and edit films that focus on social justice issues. She enjoys working on diverse projects to broaden her skills and knowledge as a filmmaker. Sadie has built an extensive portfolio during her time at Humber College. Her strengths as a director have been applied to short fiction and documentary films and a feature-length documentary that she is currently in post-production with. At the heart of her work is the desire to capture raw and unpredictable moments while continuing to be educated by the world around her.
2: Um, So thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to finally have you on. I've only heard wonderful things from um from your days at humber i wanted to start with uh talking about how you and elise know each other uh i know from your humber days well let's get into it what was the first time you met what were your first impressions of each other and when did you become friends and what's the biggest thing that you like about each other (laughs) and
0: And where were you born
2: and what do you think really happened to flight 975
1: (laughs) Oh god. Malaysian Airlines, uh, I don't know if I remember. Yeah. Our Great first. <laughs> Imagine if we hated each other at first. No, no. I just like all of a sudden it's like I was standing, you were there.
3: You know? Yeah. All I really remember is that we were in some classroom where like the prof was that woman with very colorful skirts. <gasps> oh yeah, it was first year. Yeah, and I remember like we weren't sitting together, and I think like. It wasn't until like, I think, lunch break that like Mm -hmm. I seem to remember you mentioning it was your birthday coming up. I don't know (laughs) why, but it was like a week away. And then I think we just started talking, heading to, you know, the calf, And I think that like when I thought about it more, I think our friendship started on the subway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. Yeah. Because we were like one of the only people in our year that didn't either live on campus or very close to campus. Right. And we had to commute all the way like east into the city. Like Mm -hmm. you were you're very east. Well, not Mm -hmm. very east, but you're like Danforth area. Mm -hmm. I was downtown. So it was like that was like our time to like actually decompress about the day Mm -hmm. (laughs) in our lives. Mm -hmm. And like that's like our like thing is Sadie and I ride the subway Mm -hmm. west or east together. Yeah. (laughs) And that's like no friends, yeah. no new friends, just us. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. Because yeah. in
3: class I don't think we'd like we'd talk, but it yeah. would be a lot, but it's not until like we'd really catch up on the subway because we yeah. have time. And we'd have strangers chiming into oh our, like, God. really passionate conversations. <laughs> like, it was... It would
2: always be something two cents. Yeah. That's like a scene in a movie where everyone on the subway car wants to, yeah. uh, like, contribute yeah. to the conversation. Oh, my God. It was so funny. That yeah. happened all the time. And then, like, I think as
1: the semesters went on, like, we started to actually, like, plan to have classes together. Like, yes. then Sadie and I started to right. kind of form, like, a group of friends. And whenever, like, enrollment would come, we'd all have, like, a group chat where we'd, like, yeah. send our, like, intended schedules, what we hoped we would get. And then, like, you have to sign up all at the same time, and it all goes crazy. So it's like, what's your backup? What's your backup? Okay, let's do that one together, because i have that time. Yeah. It was <laughs> insane. Like, our blood pressure was
3: like insane in those few minutes where yeah. we were like oh my god you didn't get into that our friendship's over like you know it's just like
2: it was I won't so, see you for three yeah, months yeah 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 it's yeah. a good origin story mm-hmm.
4: yeah
1: and it was like like you had other friends in the program and I think I had other friends in the program but it was mm-hmm. always like we were like in a core group or like mm-hmm. at least always aware of what was going on mm-hmm. in each other's circles
3: mm-hmm. I felt like you're that friend where it's like if we don't talk for a while, that's fine. And we'll yeah. right away get right
1: back it's into like, it. You yeah, know? we're not like yeah. not talking for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to start off by talking about um, how would you describe what you do? Because you do, from your website, you do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Do you have a way of describing it? I think... Even during my Humber time, I always
3: was that person who didn't really like to just say I did one thing. Like I always just loved learning new things and trying new projects and not just saying I love doc and not music videos or, you know, like the polar opposite. And so I think what it boils down to is just, I like capturing raw people, raw moments. Like I think no matter what that's in, like in, uh, In documentary or in fiction films, it's just like bringing out more of the raw stories Mm. and just getting like covering topics that are really important in the world, I guess. And so that will be, you know, in any kind of format,
2: but that's kind of my focus. Right. Yeah. Across mediums. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, from the work that um, I've seen and the sort of write-ups of your upcoming projects, that feels very Mm -hmm. accurate. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did you start thinking about getting into the doc world, film world? Was that like high school? Is that when you started? Uh, Yeah. So in grade 11, I joined the co-op kind
3: of program that they have. And I really don't remember how I got into the film world. I think it was my co-op professor that was kind of guiding me and thinking I think she kind of saw that I was already kind of editing films for the school like assembly videos really things like that and I think I was doing it as a hobby but I I never thought that I could make a career out of it like I just didn't think people took it serious and so I didn't take it serious
2: what were you editing on how did you start doing stuff for the school um
3: I think it was iMovie back then that I kind of you know started out and then I think by the end of grade eleven, I went into Premiere and I was working on Premiere Pro
2: already. You were editing in Premiere yeah. in grade eleven. Yeah. yeah, holy shit. Yeah, wow.
3: And so I had a placement at Regent Park Focus Youth Media Arts Center, mm-hmm. which was kind of like a TV, I guess, more focused um, broadcasting station. And I they put me there as an editor, and right away I got I learned you know the basic skills very quickly and. I right away from supervisors kind of got feedback that I had something here so I kind of just kept going with it and I really liked it but I felt like I didn't have enough time in high school to really know if that was a career or kind of a hobby right and so I took a year off after high school to just travel and kind of figure out because I didn't want to rush it and then By just making more films throughout that year and kind of realizing, oh, maybe this can be a career, I went to Humber.
2: (laughs) And so those films, are you shooting them all yourself, like doing every stage of the process? Yeah. Yeah. How did you, like, when did you pick up a camera? How did you start doing that? Oh, gosh. I think the first time, apart from Humber, like, I think
3: my grandfather was a filmmaker. And so he kind of had his old cameras. So I think I kind of subconsciously, you know, was surrounded by, you know, what he was doing. And he always had a camera in my face. And I kind of, you know, sometimes got to use it for a few seconds. But um, I think it wasn't till like the first couple weeks of Humber that we kind of got those big cameras that that's the first time I really got to hold a big camera. Right. And then I think it was by the end of first year, I already decided that I'd like to make a documentary about my grandpa in Banff, Alberta. And so I kind of used my small town connections in Banff to get free equipment and I just went and I used whatever they gave me and then I kind of learned from there. Um, And I, for some reason, I think that was the first step where, because I had to travel there alone, like I didn't have money to bring a crew, I kind of just did it all like sound, editing, camera, directing, like I just was put in that situation to do it all I guess because I didn't have yeah. the resources
2: yeah I feel like that's very true of the doc world just as you're starting mm-hmm. out it's like well mm-hmm. if you want to make it you better go figure exactly. it out yeah I remember yeah. the first I went to school for doc as well and the first time I was shooting something I brought one friend with me and I didn't know how to like turn the camera on that I was using and it was like such a shocking experience <laughs> to just be like figure it out yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. can I will let's jump ahead then a little bit because I want to talk about the documentary you're working on about your grandfather which is Eddie is that his name yes yeah um so how did you decide to focus on your grandfather Mm. I think
3: in that first year I think I kind of just saw this interesting subject and went with it but I kind of growing up he was a very goofy guy and he always had a camera in my face and I always like he's a legend in Banff everyone knows him they stop him on the street and they'll talk to him but I just realized there has to be more to him because I kind of I don't know I I could kind of see there was another side to him he's not just always goofy you know there's there's other parts to him and I think I just saw it as a challenge where it's like oh you all like see him this way but like how would me as kind of his granddaughter see him because i have that access that Mm -hmm. other people don't have and so it kind of started out with me just flying over there and being like okay like what is your backstory you know like what was your childhood like and you know who are you and i discovered like 450 of his films in the archives which like he never told me like he wow he really just put up this front of you know the entertainer but really never told us more about it yeah and so it's weird it's this documentary's kind of been in the process for three four years now and Mm -hmm. it's because i continue to grow as a filmmaker as well because in first year you know, I wasn't as good as i I guess I am now., yeah. um, but I also learned way more about him, and that he really doesn't think um highly of himself at all. And so the documentary kind of shifted into how does everyone else see him? And it's crazy the amount of people he influenced. So it's kind of like I discovered I had this subject who didn't want to open up so much, which, you know, as a uh, director is kind of, the biggest challenge is finding, okay, where's the story here? And I've been doing this for two, three years now. I have to keep going. I want to find the oomph in the story. And so I thought, well, clearly everyone else has such great things to say about him. How about we kind of figure out who he is through their eyes? Mm. So it's kind of me growing as a filmmaker, learning about him and his past, but also what he's leaving behind i guess yeah that's
2: amazing Wow, thank you are you a character in the doc as well
3: i wasn't at first like but i was trying to really be now, hard yeah. yeah i was trying really hard not to and he kept acknowledging me behind the camera totally. and i was just like oh no and then as we kept going i realized it's actually the relationship between us that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. is this the infinite i guess like yeah. we're
1: also learning about you and your grandfather exactly. as well as your grandfather yeah yeah. Watching what were them his
2: four fifty film four hundred and fifty films about? What were they like? So I didn't watch w- them all? No. <laughs> you,
3: who has that?
2: Go- <laughs> that would have taken three years in itself. Yeah. yeah. Um so I talked
3: to the archivist mm-hmm. um, there, um, who she dedicated so much of her time to watching all of his films. Like it she was the subject you want where she just got on camera and she was his biggest fan. Like she just could say everything about him, every film. So I kind of got that summary from her that it was so much of him capturing Banff, like the town Mm. and just the people. And the, the biggest thing that surprised me was that he actually was, he got on skis and used one of his first cameras to film and ski. And so some of those films are, you know, him really being up and personal with skiers which later on I found out actually influenced a documentarian that I got to know and that that's why he started is because he just Mm. saw this guy on camera so I'd say in summary a lot of it was just capturing Banff Mm. um, and the people and the town because he's just he's been there for so long now that he has a mountain run named after him like he's just he
2: is Banff
3: as people say yeah is any of his
2: footage in your film?
3: Yes. Yeah. So I got access to any of the films I want that he um, created. So yeah. I t- I'm kind of picking away at the ones he mentioned um, and I'll be using those. Yeah. In the film.
1: What are they about? Like, are they like feature length
3: films? Um, I'd say I think the longest, maybe I think they're more like 15, 20 minutes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some like one, for example, is on disabled skiing and it's called A Turn in My Life. And it's just like he also kind of composed music with a friend. Like it's very much just like he found a way and he Mm -hmm. captured. So I think a lot was around skiing because that's his love is sport. But he found a way to bring sport and filmmaking into it by just jumping on skis. Um, And then for just last summer, I went back to Banff to kind of finish the documentary and I decided to use that camera he used and get on skis and film him skiing. So that was like a really cool moment because he's nine. He's about to be 96 and he still skis. Wow. But I like we don't know how much longer he can ski because of his eyes. So I just thought I just want to capture that while I can and and while he still enjoys it.
2: Yeah. That's a perfect end to your <laughs> film. The granddaughter picks up his camera yeah. and captures one of his last yeah. downhill ski runs. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Uh what fate so you're in post production now on that? Yes, yeah. How how is editing that? Because I feel like that's where the real work begins. Yes, yeah. And
3: um for a long time I think at first when I just started out, I I really was worried I wasn't getting what I wanted and Mm -hmm. that you know we've been told like in at Humber we were told like don't don't film your your relatives because sometimes you just don't know how far to push it you don't know like you know it's just different when it's your family they said that yeah Yeah, they did (laughs) yeah Mm. and so I find at first it was hard for me to know how far I could take it to you know get a story and I think Learning, like, as I kept going, I was worried I didn't really have a film to show people because I just didn't know how to navigate what I've got. And then. Did you have to show a finished product in school? no okay. no that was a complete side project for I me see. yeah not I think part of school. you'd
1: considered it for a moment right i did for something i can't remember like what we it had, was in in second year or third year we had like doc projects where you have to like pitch your documentary and then it goes to like a committee right i think i remember you talking about i think you had that idea yeah yeah and really i wondered ever... if i could use it but they yeah. said it had to be completely new oh. a new
3: project um but yeah so it's it's it was really tough for me to start editing because I just, I really didn't know where to start. And especially just in the documentary world, it's so hard because that's where you find the story. There's so much, like you need so much patience. Mm -hmm. And so just starting to kind of relive the moments I did with him, I realized, I think I need some kind of outsider too, to help me along the way. Um, So I reached out to someone that I went to Humber with as well, just to kind of also give an outsider perspective but then I can also bring you know the um for what what I saw in this um to it because I just yeah I just felt there was so many years and so many good memories I you need some distance yeah Mm. as they say I'd be married to any shot and it would be hard to just
2: do you know how many hours of footage you have oh so many oh
3: gosh (laughs) so so much um I don't even know. I Each trip was around 10 days and I went four times wow. and it was filming all day. Oh my God. So, yeah. A lot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a narrative in your head? Is it coming together?
3: Um, it is. I actually just had a brainstorming session like a week ago. So I feel like now I'm kind of... And are you
2: working very closely with this yes, editor? Yeah. So you're co very much co-editing. Yes, okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's still... We're still trying to kind of figure out how to take it, but we're thinking... Like the main thing really is um, how other people see him. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we'd kind of start off with like, with me kind of being the focus in a way now at the beginning of like, because I have all these home videos he shot of me of like um, him, like, um, what's the word? Him pointing a camera in my face and yeah. just having all these home videos that I thought... um Let's start it like that. That's how I knew him. Who's the guy behind the lens? And then kind of unraveling his past a bit and what, why he wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, and then kind of the main focus is really getting into how he influenced other people. Right. And so, yeah, that's kind of like the the rough uh, structure. But I think as my editor now watches more of the footage too, we're going to kind of see where the string or the narrative. Yeah. yeah. Narrative this is.
2: is so helpful for me because I'm uh, I have like a similar doc that I've been working on while I was in school that okay. I'm very stuck on. And okay. the idea of hiring a co editor or finding someone to edit with me, I'm like, yeah. what a good idea. Yeah. Bring someone else into the project. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is your dream for where this is gonna end up? Do you wanna put it in festivals? Yes. Oh, um great. I think
3: there's the good thing about the small town is that like everyone knows <laughs> yeah, I've I'm... done this. So there's that is there pressure a Banff film festival. Yes. Of course. Yes. So that would be my absolute goal. Yeah. Um, and there's so many people who want to, you know, screen it in the theaters and have it before even shows start the trailer. Like, so there's so much community behind this that that's like my goal to have it at the Banff Film Festival would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be great for him to see too. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You have some time pressure. Oh yeah. You gotta Mm -hmm. get it done. Mm -hmm. That'll, that'll do it. Yeah. Um, can we go back in time to, uh, I was reading some stuff you wrote online of the, this moment in, you took some kind of media class that really changed your perspective on, um, on like how you were thinking about work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. What class was that?
3: Was it the media for social change? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was in third year. Mm -hmm. There was this media for social change class. And I just thought if, There was a class that was me. That would be it kind of thing. Um, So I signed up for it and it had my favorite uh, prof, Susan. Um, And she, like, I just knew she was going to bring the best to it um, just because of the person she is. And so, What kind of person is she? She's, yeah.
2: (laughs) I feel like you talked about Susan.
1: Yeah, Susan, she's one of my favorite professors I've ever had. Like, uh, favorite people I've ever had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. She's
2: just
3: one of those who she cares so much about her students, like yeah. beyond the project. Like if she knows it can go somewhere, she's going to help you make it happen. And kind she has of like
1: so much like real world experience and like is still always trying to also learn in the industry. Mm. So she like really, really brought that of like, this is like a practical thing that I think you should know specifically for what you're doing. It mm-hmm. was very much that kind of thing. Right. She wasn't like as pessimistic as I think some of the other professors we had were, or as just like, overly optimistic of like imagine you're writing a four-part epic and you're like well I'm not actually ever gonna do that
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's true she was very real Yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah I she had this exercise in class where it was kind of like find your passion or find like what do you as they say like your tone in your films like everyone kind of has their their underlining tone or message Mm -hmm. um and so she made us fill out this quiz and I kind of in my head was like well it's like another BuzzFeed like you know like I'll I'll see what they say but I won't really you know who knows what they're gonna say and I filled it out and it the word equality came up and I was just like oh I would have never thought that that would be kind of my main focus and then as I gave it a bit more time I realized that's actually so true in any of my projects I found some way to make sure people felt equal or that the stories that don't get a lot of light are getting that light that they need so it it was so simple to see on screen and I think for a lot of people it's just like okay and moving on but for me something weirdly clicked that day where I was like It just gave me a bit more drive every time I did a project, just knowing that's, I guess that's who I am. That's what I'm trying to get in my work. Right.
2: Yeah. It's finding an identity and the kind of stories you want to tell is like very uh, exciting and also freeing because suddenly you have like a a direction, whereas Mm -hmm. before it could have been, or I'm sure you can still tell any story, but suddenly you have some idea of how you're going, like what your voice is in that story. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I it's also inspiring me to take some like class some uh, online tests to find mm, my word. Yeah <laughs> uh, I'll you, send it to you, please <laughs> do. Uh, you also talked about a moment in, with a professor who sort of gave you the confidence to switch from editing to directing.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, can you talk about when what how did that happen?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, this
2: was also in
3: Third year was a very transformational <laughs> year. Um, in third year, we had to do um, r- short dramatic or dramatic shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, how did that work? At least we pitched a script.
1: Yeah, I think we pitched a script and we were in groups. I think it was like only X amount of people could actually direct something. Yeah. Oh, right. Anyone in the directing group. Right, yeah. We, group. That's when you kind of like splinter off. So there was like three core groups. I think it was cinematography, editing, and directing. Right, And yes. then based on that, it was kind of like from these three sections, they'll pick like an editor, a director, a cinematographer, and like pair you off. Right, I yeah. Think. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. I'm not going to fact check. you. <laughs> someone else is going to be like, I'm angry. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: Yeah. So I was in the directing stream at that point. And so I had to write a script. Um, and so it got to the point of us filming, um, sad story. Our SD card actually was not working and we lost all the footage. So our whole oh, shoot, shoot was just gone. Oh, I think I, I talked about this time. one time
1: on the podcast <sighs> Did you? that I was like, this is like a traumatic experience that happened for everybody in our cohort. Everyone. everyone. Was like, it was horror- like someone died. Yeah. yeah. That's
2: the worst nightmare
1: that I have.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. For that to yeah. happen. Mm-hmm.
3: But wow. So at that point i was so exhausted and i didn't know if i could do it again and i went to the professor and he was like you're not going to give up like this is a story you want to do you're going to make it happen and so i got i figured it all out we we went and we shot again and it wasn't like until after when my editor um kind of made a rough cut we sh- i went to show it um to just the professor kind of a one-on-one meeting yeah and he <laughs> i he's one of those people he doesn't show a lot of emotion and you really don't know what he thinks and he's kind of that kind of professor you just really want to impress because you know he's just he's done a lot in his life he's really good at what he does really
1: eastern european Mm oh those are my
3: favorite kind of people (laughs) and um so i really wanted to impress him i really wanted you know like i wanted him to like it and he's just sitting there watching the film absolutely no reaction you're watching him watching yes oh, yeah no. and it was after like i'm so exhausted at that point because it's the second shoot and he just takes his glasses off and gets up and i'm just like oh my gosh what is going to happen and he's just like yeah you have what it takes <laughs> and i and i was just like i i was just in shock because i just it was so nice to hear after I put so much into it and Uh I really didn't think it was going to be as good as it could be and it's just like those words from someone that you look up to was just like I I skipped home to the bus after that like it was just like even if that wasn't like my proudest film it was just nice to be like especially I think during your time in university it's like you start to notice people like, okay, I don't think I'm as good as them, and uh, right. you know, I think I'm in the middle. Like, I didn't never really thought, okay, I I could be a director because a lot of people, I think, also just think I'll say director if I don't really know what I want to be, yes. you know. So, yeah, after you said that, I just felt so much more confident. I think in anything I was doing, you know, totally. if I if I had to make a decision on set, I was just like, no, you know what? I got what it takes. So I get to actually, USA. I have what it
2: takes. I don't know if you heard. Yeah.
3: exactly, yeah." <laughs> so it just kind of just like the equality word, it just kind of sat there with me when I made choices and it just made me more confident right. over time. Yeah. Wow.
2: So did that, how did that change your process sort of understanding then that you wanted to direct? Did that ch- were you, you were already in the directing stream when that happened. Yes. So you'd already started to think about that. Yes. Yeah. So I guess what were those initial thoughts then switching from editing to directing? Mm. Um. And did they feel separate or, I mean, in doc, it's often all one kind of yeah, deal. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think because the, my first step kind of in the industry was the co-op placement and editing, and I wasn't really branching out at that time, I thought, That might be my only kind of way because I just didn't know what else was out there. And I think during the Humber years, I realized how much they actually mesh directing and editing. Like, you know, you're a better editor if you're a good director, you're Mm a better director if you're a good editor. And so I realized at the point when he said, You have what it takes, it was almost like I flashed back at my life of like, when would I have noticed that I could have actually been a director, if that makes sense, instead of like, I think I just brushed it off. If I ever thought I had it, I think, and so I right away went back to like my whole teens and just like making my sister and her friends do stuff and I filmed it and I just like you know I was so pushy, I guess yeah. as an older sister, but I would film so many things and I thought it was always just a hobby and I think when he said that I realized oh there were moments I sh- I could have yes. focused in on that and I just I always just thought it w- it was my bossy. Mm. older sister side but I realized it just means I had a vision and I wanted to make it happen
2: yeah yeah I don't want to like place a narrative on your experience but do you feel like there was uh, like part of it coming to terms with being a director's coming to terms with like your own like feminism of like it feels like a very male world the film mm-hmm. world to me mm-hmm. and like even you using the term bossy, like you hear that that is a term really only applied to girls with, right. with vision. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of it is sort of reframing how we think about ourselves as women in the film industry. Right, Does yeah. That,
3: I never thought of that, but I think that definitely played a role because like you said, I think I never wanted to be bossy because right. then someone would be saying something negative probably towards me. So yeah. I think... I think our program was kind of quite even. Like I like that. Like there were a lot of girls and a lot of guys. There was, but like, but significantly more guys. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think there still were a lot of girls though.
1: Yeah, but it yeah. wasn't like oh, there's four girls. But it right. was like in every class, you were probably like twenty people, and like it'd be at least like more than ten guys. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Hmm. I just know like in our, I take, I took some like cinematography classes, and it was all film bros who were like directors yeah. and all of the women were like editors or thinking about like what other producers uh which are all like wonderful roles mm-hmm. but if you kind of wanted to be a director there wasn't that right. there were not the same it was not the same kind of yeah I'm a director so what of it yeah like I feel like I don't know it, it was
3: no I yeah, yeah. I think so especially I i mean it's so sad to say that I needed a male professor to kind of say you got it yeah. but I think that actually did kind of happen because then knowing he had my back right mm-hmm. if I was on set and I said something and you know some other guy was like okay who does she think she is I think it just helped me mentally be like well I have that prof the spirit yeah yes you know yeah so I think <laughs> it did definitely sadly play a role in not thinking I could do it until someone told me I could yeah
2: I wanted to talk about did you have any like really challenging experiences in school or whenever when you were starting out like holding like challenges with a camera or being intimidated on the set like did you have any rough times I think kind of along the
3: directing stream there in terms of like cinematography too. I felt very intimidated, um, holding these huge cameras and also just knowing how to, you know, work them. Yes. And so I think that was one of the biggest challenges at first was just also having this professor who didn't give you a lot of time to learn. And I really hated that because that's what I was there for. And so I think That was one of the biggest challenges was just learning because editing, I started, I came into school knowing that and directing. I mean, you learn over time, but it was Mm -hmm. more like that skill of camera too was just, it was so intimidating to me. And I think I just never gave it a chance at first because it's just the people who were passionate about cinematography were already in it. Like they were just going and I just felt like there was no time for me to
2: catch up. What kind of cameras were you learning on not to get to in the weeds Um, i seem to remember sony pmw Mm -hmm.
3: sounds familiar another that i don't remember fair enough yeah what do you shoot on now um if i'm not renting a camera i actually use dslrs the 4k ones just because it's just easier if i'm doing any kind of like promo work or stuff like that um elliot has been f-
2: shooting on Sony FX3 recently. Oh, yeah, That'll he likes tell. it. No big deal. But yeah, other than that, I don't.
3: Not a big challenge. Kind of stands out right? Right. during my. I think it was more after, um, big being on big productions um, that I really notice the hierarchy and the sexism Mm -hmm. and the racism and it just there's a lot there that needs to change yeah
2: how did you start getting jobs on big sets um oh it was through word of mouth
3: so which is a lot of how the film industry works um so through word of mouth um a friend of mine at humber um reached out to me and said hey i'm on this production um, who was also referred from someone from the year before us. So that's kind of how we got the connection, um, which was just so exciting to be on like literally million dollar production Mm -hmm. from us being a student. Like, it's just crazy. Or like the documentaries, right. Doing it all on my own (laughs) and then knowing you can just, you know, spend all this money on transport. Um, but yeah, that's how I got onto that big production, but I really didn't know, what was going to come with that? I think mentally too. And what was your role on set? Uh, COVID compliance officer. Oh, I've yeah. done
2: that myself. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. I'm it's not a good very way to good get, get into. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you seem fine. You can go on. In. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to scale back or talk a little bit like bigger picture. What were you during those early? years sort of just out of school or even while you're in school what were you inspired by like what were you watching and thinking about
3: right at the end well actually kind of it started end of third year into fourth year is when I really got into more um, social justice issues Mm -hmm. Um, and just because I started I directed a documentary in third year um, about refugees and I I think that was the beginning of inspiration for now, like for who I am now, Um, because I built such a network so quickly with that project that I just realized, wait a minute, I can take what I'm passionate about with social justice, but also my love for film and combine them. Mm. And so I think coming out of Humber, that's kind of what motivated me and inspired me was just seeing any documentaries about refugees or about any other social justice issue. Yeah. Um, because I just felt like that gave me purpose.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that documentary? Cause you're in post-production on that one as well yes. currently. And yes. what's it called? Um, working title is we are more than that. Right. Yeah. So you, and you're following the story of one refugee coming to Canada, but you're sort of presenting it in a new light, not as bleak, more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's two refugees. Oh, two refugees. Mm -hmm. So how did you start, uh, how did you come up with that concept and how did you find your subjects? Ooh, I... I think it was
3: through my grandma's friend. She worked at this place called Romero House in Toronto, um, which helps as soon as a refugee arrives, they can live in that home and they start helping them with any kind of um, resources and any kind of, you know, services that they need to kind of start their life here in Canada. Um, And so I thought, you know what, let me try, let me reach out. Maybe this could be something. Um, And when I reached out at first, a lot of people were hesitant. And so I thought maybe this isn't, you know, the right time or the right place because they just arrived. Right. It's like, it's a lot to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, and then something in me just said, no, there's, there's going to be someone who's going to want to do this. Um, and it took meeting after meeting like i i can't even remember i had a meeting i think every day after class during every week like it was wow. just like i just kept wanting to find someone i wasn't just going to settle and yeah. so i came across some amazing people and amazing stories and i created this pitch package for uh the panel at Humber um and we had to make a, a short little trailer of what we would hope it to be um and I think that's where also my kind of, I don't know, like hustling mentality started um, because I knew their life was so unpredictable and they could very quickly back out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kept networking, even though I had subjects locked down, if that makes sense, because I just thought if they suddenly have something they need to do, then I want to have someone else for this film so I had like a list of 12 refugees, I think, just like, you know, ready to, you know, if they yeah,
4: they wanted I mean, to do
3: this, but I knew I couldn't do 12 in one film. So I was like, I think two, maybe three, but yeah. it, was, it was a lot to do because it was 15 minutes. We were only allowed a 50
2: minute film. So 1-5? Yeah, 1-5. You put in all this legwork for yeah. a 15-minute film. Yeah. Wow, that is, <laughs> that's incredible. Thank you.
3: But that was like, yeah, the start of it all was just networking with these people and then realizing there's so much here. I yeah. want to keep this going. So when I finished at Humber, I was like, let's, I want to keep trying to find these raw stories that need to be heard and not just by the media. Um, yeah. Because it's so filtered and it's so sometimes negative towards refugees that i really wanted to shine that light on what they do now yeah in this documentary yeah
1: um and talking about that i too i also remember after class you would like you'd be like i have to go i have to go to a court hearing like, I have to go, like, right. listen to this person, like, plead their case yeah. and try to seek asylum in Canada. Right. Yeah, Jesus, you're, you
2: are a hustler. <laughs> no. yeah. I'm like, do you want to ride the
1: subway? And you're like, no, I'm going to court. I have to go to
2: court. <laughs> Sorry. His hearing is today. <laughs> so how did you build relationships with your subjects? I think...
3: It came a lot down to them trusting me first. Like Mm -hmm. I, when I met them, I right away talked about, I mean, in a humbling way, I talked about myself to just so they could understand who I was and that I wasn't just this person coming to film them, put it like editing it my way and putting it up somewhere. Yes. So I think with everyone, I wanted to tell them my attention, intention, I if they needed a translator I got a translator so that they really could understand you know what my focus was and I think it came down a lot to the trust um of Romero House because that woman knew me she Mm -hmm. put in a word that like you know this isn't someone just coming in and she's going to do this and leave like I want this to be beyond just this project so I wanted to build those connections to figure out how else can we you know shine more light on your stories. right yeah
2: I feel like um in school we talked a lot about the ethics of like doc making and using someone else's story as your own. Yeah. Not I mean it is art but it's also just sort of like your own personal expression. Like how do you I think a lot of that comes in the editing process too. Like how mm-hmm. do you navigate telling someone else's story?
4: Mm-hmm. like
2: trying to portray them accurately but also making like editorial decisions and trying to shape mm-hmm. a narrative mm-hmm. like, do you have any like rules that you stand by or you just find what feels right in the moment
3: yeah I think over time directing different kind of films and meeting so many different people I've kind of learned how to read someone if it's like too far or if it just takes that little extra push and they will do it like Mm -hmm. I kind of know when it's too much and weirdly what I learned is like well at least with the refugees of this documentary like they are so ready to share their story and that was a huge thing I was worried about I didn't want to be this white girl that literally films you and puts it up like at the end of the day it's your story right and so some of our interviews were hours hours long because I just wanted them to unravel what they felt comfortable unraveling yeah and then it came down to really um updating them every step of the way in the post-production like I wanted them to always okay what was happening how they're viewed like Because it was more of a focus on like, I want you to reveal your past, but what are you doing now? I think it was easier to kind of reveal because I wasn't getting like into the very, you know, like they definitely revealed very crazy things that they had to deal with. But I just, I knew how far to take that and then focus on the good because I wanted that to be a new thing too in this world. Is like, what are they doing now? Like that I always kind of see them more blue tone victimizing films anyways that mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of portray them in the right light and right. they knew that intention. So, yeah, I think there was just a trust there that I wanted to make sure at the end of the day, they're happy with the product. It's not me
2: yes. saying this is my film. So bringing know? them in at every step. Yes. That's a big commitment. That's in yeah, yeah, I like that style. I find too, like one of my rules, not rules, but thinking about it is like just time, like putting in the time, knowing that you're not going to leave, that you're not coming in for a quick interview. It's totally. Like, yeah. I think that goes a long way to yeah. to proving your trust and yeah. Um, you know, that's like that. In some ways, that's all you can give them. Mm-hmm. Really, is mm-hmm. is your time. Mm-hmm. Um, what is? Where are you in that process? And where is that a feature as well? No, that's still the 15-minute. Oh, that's yeah. the final length. Yeah, yeah. So is that almost completed? Yeah. So what actually happened is
3: that right when we were in the post-production phase, COVID happened. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I've heard of her. <laughs> so am I allowed to say that word on? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, so we were no longer a- allowed access to um, the, the computers suite. Yeah, at school. So basically our oh. whole project was put on hold um for quite a long time and then so you
2: just didn't have a way to edit yeah oh my god
4: yeah
3: and then it came down to I wanted to get it done so bad that my editor had everything at home yeah that we would do uh, Skype calls all the time and I would just be like, you know, working with him while he's editing. And it was just like, if we could do that, we knew we could edit anything because it's like over, you know, FaceTime. Yeah, there was this one part I really, really wanted in the film where um, this refugee, one of the subjects, um, he had his old phone and he actually had the real threats that were on the phone of like why he had to leave Mexico to come Mm. here. And I just really wanted that in the film because I just felt like it's one thing for him to say it. But like if you're really right there reading, you know, from the phone you also had. Yeah. So I kind of put it on pause for that, too, because I just he didn't know where that phone was and he was about to move. So I waited until he could find it. And then we shot that more recently and then now we're kind of in the final you know the last little edits and then figuring
2: out the music to it all so we're we're close in final stages yeah, yeah and is that going to go to festivals as well yes I hope so yeah. yeah and you can bring your subjects on stage and yes that'll be amazing yeah yeah can we talk about uh anomaly productions films films yeah that's your own company that you started. Yes. That's crazy to me. How that, what a brave step. How did you start your own company? And when did you decide you were going to stop doing contract or freelance or whatever?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I would say from the moment I graduated from Humber, I was always trying to find new projects and I was freelancing. Um, and then certain you know, jobs came along the way where I, I decided to do that because, you know, you also have to pay the bills. Yes. Um, and so I kept hustling to find new projects because I just wanted to be that to be my life instead of this, you know, I'll take this on, but it's not really what I want to do. So I kept freelancing to project after project. And It wasn't until during COVID, I would say like the 2020 kind of time where the whole world kind of paused. And I just thought this is the time to try if I want to do this um, because I am given the time because we're all kind of at home. So that's when I gave it more thought. And I was like, if I want to keep doing these projects, I need more of a team because it's tough when I I've tried so hard to always do it on my own but at some point that's just not possible yeah um and so yeah during COVID I realized I think I'd like to build this a bit more because any project I took on I felt like I was not being creative at all even though it was something within film yeah and so I just didn't feel fulfilled so I thought why not give this a chance and if it doesn't work in a year I can go do something else but like I want to give it a chance yes so yeah it wasn't until I'd say late last year that I was like I think let me try and do this um and then my business partner partners more in the marketing world so I had that kind of backbone too well you know that's that's kind of the business building while I'm actually finding the projects. So I felt more confident going into that. So,
2: yeah. And is it the two of you as co-founders?
4: Yes. So
2: you have, you have the film side and they have the marketing side? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How, how is it going? Good. Um, You kind of because you offer like you could be a one stop shop for someone creating a digital any kind of digital content. Yeah. It's like graphic design, photography, editing. Yeah. Post production production.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I think. I didn't really want to like lock down that we have a company until I knew I had some people that I already work a lot with clients, you know, that already trust me and that would want things in the future just Mm -hmm. to feel like, okay, there's something that will happen if I, you know, go with this. And then it wasn't until we were like, this is it, we're going to lock this down, this is going to be our company that we signed a deal with a marketing company to be their production um, their go to kind of production team. Got it. So I took that so as you had a sign. first big client. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is a sign from yeah. the universe. Like we decided to do this the next day that happened. It was the like, next yeah. day. That is yeah. a sign from the universe. Yeah, yeah. So, and then from there, I think just from the context I've had, we've had uh project after project. But yeah. of course, there are moments it is, you know, still or you just you don't know what to do and you beat yourself up and you think yeah. okay like someone is going to work right now they're making money and you know they're going to get a paycheck where it's so up and down yes um but it's so rewarding when a project comes that yes. like I can be so creative and I'm not just like a COVID compliance officer <laughs> on a set you know yes. yeah yeah freedom
2: it's uh Uh, it's not easy to get it and find financial stability at the same time it's like you have to pick one or the other when you're starting off yeah yeah
4: um
2: what how did you is there a lot of like finance how did you start the company do you have to put was there any like financing up front or did you just sort of like make a website offer figure out what you wanted to offer and see who would yeah who would find you um I think for the longest
3: time, I whatever job I had in my life, I always subconsciously was kind of keeping track of like, okay, this is what I wouldn't do if I had a company. This is what I would do. Really? And I always was thinking, you know, I understand sometimes you're in a situation, you're going to act that way, you know, like it's not like, but I just felt like I would rather create an environment that was, you know, not really like a lot of the workplaces I worked um, and so I think I kind of drew from any guest speaker. We had a lot of guest speakers at were A lot of guest speakers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I drew from some of them. Um
2: so they were helpful.
3: Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Good. Um because you always hear kind of entrepreneurs say, just start. <laughs> just start. Like y- you put so much like so much is in your head that you just think that so much needs to happen before you can start a business. And every time I heard them say like, just start, I'm like, but how? Like, it's yeah. just, you know, that's like,
1: just... it's just
0: the first step. That's the hardest.
1: Yeah, exactly. You took away the good lessons. I took away two <coughs> Hatchimal commercials. It'll pay your mortgage. You ever have it? you could have Go a into Hatchimal? PR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was the only, and that guy who made a documentary about like turtles. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Turtles Fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Love turtles. Yeah. It's a beautiful film, yeah. <laughs> you you took away the good stuff.
2: Yeah, I tried to see the positive in it. But but what? I know you just made fun of that question. But what is, what is the first step? What do you do? Um,
3: I think for me, it actually was the building of the website. Like, mm. I just felt like I needed something concrete to be like, I am legit. <laughs> yes. You know, even if I'm figuring it all out in the you know in the background. Um. But it was kind of building the website that then allowed me to figure out what is our mission, what's our motto, like what's our goal. Mm. And then that kind of created a business plan and, you know, you start thinking of logo like it's like. I would say almost at the beginning. things I think about on a
0: daily basis. (laughs) Those are
3: all the things
2: Elliot loves. A mission statement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's lovely. Um, Ours is written on a piece of white uh, Bristol board. (laughs) It's in our closet.
3: (laughs) Love it. So I I feel like almost at the beginning, it was very fun. Like, you're just kind of like figuring out your vibe, your colors, your logo. Like, you know, you don't really get into the real business part of it at first. Right. And then... I think now that I'm more in it and there's, you know, we have more clients. I just, I realized it's not as big as I thought it was. Like you learn as you go, right? you adjust and make your invoice look better. Or, you know, as a client comes your way, like you just start to kind of upgrade everything as it happens. And I think it comes down to, for me, it was very much like my demo reel did a lot of the talking. Like I, I am so lucky that during humber i just wanted to go do other projects on the side your demo
2: reel is beautiful it's
3: amazing thank you that i just yeah i just felt like i wanted to get that and so when i finished humber i had a demo which i was just like i don't know how that happened but i just i think that did a lot of the speaking so that i could get these clients because i think other than uh, if i didn't have that I would be stuck because people wouldn't trust me because i have nothing to right. show so i think that's in the what film world helped. you have to show what yeah. you've done
2: yeah and school i guess in that way is helpful and also the other opportunities yes. that come along with yeah. it yeah school you to do have to
1: show what you've done
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but you're
2: given um like equipment and mm-hmm. uh, resources to mm-hmm. like in film it's hard to go get the footage you need to start Totally. Yeah. Um, would you recommend film school to someone trying to start out? I would because I think the only reason I was successful
3: after Humber was because I had friends to call. Mm. And I think, yes, you could watch a YouTube video and learn how to edit. Right. Yes, you could read a book on how to direct like it does come a lot like it comes down to the experience and being on set I would say so what I noticed from Humber's what I put into it I got out of it and I think if you
1: (laughs) I'm just thinking about our astrology our astronomy
2: elective you oh, took yeah. an astronomy elective? Yeah. Did you get a lot out of it?
1: No. no.
3: <laughs> there are stars.
1: Yeah. They're up
2: there. Basically. And zenith.
1: Something about a zenith. <laughs> yeah, something about the Rigel constellation. But I think you're right. I I get asked that question a lot, too. And I think it's like, yeah, of course, you could just like heckle your way onto a set. But I think the one thing about our program in specific... And specifically was that like you kind of you have to learn how to at least do everything a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like it takes Mm -hmm. a good editor to be a great director and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I think that like even just having that knowledge of like what it takes to ask somebody to do that or what they need to do that and like how long is just, it just gives you so much more leverage when you actually get out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, even just being able to lend a hand to something, because you're like, I actually do know what that tripod is, and I see you struggling with it. And mm-hmm. that's going to make this whole day go faster mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I know how to put that on, even if that's not my job. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, like, from what I've seen like especially because Sadie's set was right across the street from my set this summer so I would like <laughs>
2: see you like Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's Can you say what set you were on? The Lost Symbol on CBS. Oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on the Lost
1: Symbol but like yeah. on our set especially in like the grips department you'd meet these guys that were like buddy over here that you know rides motorcycle with what's his nuts and they've been working together now for 10 years just mm-hmm. doing the circuit and they don't do anything else mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're probably very capable of other things but mm-hmm. probably not because they're assholes but like right. but anyways it's just you see like you get in at a certain point and you can move up and down within that but it's hard to go lateral right. and like jump to other True. things whereas with Humber I found yeah. like I got in thinking I wanted to do cinematography and I started cinematography and was like oh fuck that that's way too much math right mm-hmm. what <laughs> I was like, no 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 oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's also what you said though. And it's just like finding groups of people that are into the same kind of thing that you're yeah. into, mm-hmm. right? Like finding that person to be your editor who you already know through school, as opposed mm-hmm. to like interviewing somebody and starting from the zero, I'm sure you would find them too, but it's, right. you yeah. kind of have that organic entry point.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. And trust too. Yeah. yeah. Cause you've, Worked with them in a way that you don't, I mean, I think in our program specifically, again, like you are working with them in a way where there is something in the line or on the line, Mm -hmm. but it isn't the same way as like a job, but it is Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is, you know, 30% of my mark, but Mm -hmm. you know, you're working together. And
0: especially like for a film set as well, for the handful of times that, I don't know, a few times I've been on set, it's, there's so many just one-off people who are just there to meet all these other people for the first time there. And then that day, mm-hmm. if you can have that one other person that you do know, I think it can make the experience so much more enjoyable yeah. and make you more excited about doing whatever the job is that you're yes. going there to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I think it's, it's such a one-off thing. If you're, you're very lucky if you're going in with your full team of people to go and do it, which sounds like you'll be doing with your company, which I think just makes every project, whether or not it's the most fascinating thing to work on, it makes it more enjoyable because you're around the people that you want to work with, right?
2: Collaboration is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, do you collaborate? How does your job work currently? Do you collaborate a lot? With like crew members, with anom anomaly, like how do you I guess? um, Because you're working with your co-founder, yeah. And then, are you like, is the are these big sets that you're on part of your company? No. So those are you have separate jobs. Yes. So then I guess, do you collaborate in anomaly, like in your own little world?
3: Yes. And I think, I think that kind of goes back to the whole Humber thing, where it's like starting off as a business you can't pay everyone right away like it really you know it is a sacrifice for everyone yeah and so for us what started working is just hiring people as freelancers as well like you know they they know that we constantly come up with projects if they're available they'll help us and they'll join right and so i think continuing to have enough of a network where you have people you can reach
2: out to when a project happens Mm. then you feel stable and taking on a project yeah that's so key and I know I never think about that Mm. if I would ever like go off on my own Mm -hmm. who do you call to help you out like that that's something to build up though and Mm -hmm. takes time
3: yeah so I think that probably also at the beginning made me think I couldn't handle creating a company because I was like no way can I hire people yeah um and I think it does come down to if people see your vision, they will help you and they are on board. And if they know who you are, um, they know you're going to want to make good projects and you you know that will yes. also benefit them. So it's just like everyone helping one another, I think is the way we're starting to succeed now until
2: mm-hmm. we're able to yes pay people. Yeah. A little collective. That's how I feel yeah. about everything but that it, we do.
0: It seems like the you have the added hurdle of clients. Cause like, as you're talking oh, right. about, um, starting your company, it's kind of almost echoes what we did and like kind of starting at the same time. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're only executing our collaborative yeah. four person vision, but like you have to take right. in someone completely else. And do you find that when clients come to you, they kind of know what they want or they kind of come to you being like, this is kind of what we're thinking about. What would you like? How would you execute this kind of thing?
3: I would say more that like, yeah, thing. like. I mean, it depends on the client, but I'm going to use like the example of a law firm that I just did a promotional video for Um, their work is so opposite of, you know, what totally. we do. So I think they don't even know or understand what the film world is like, that they need your guidance to just know. Um, the best way to showcase their company right so I think it came down to me learning as much as I could from them and then just every step of the way I would I would kind of bring them in on the process so that they also understood what it took to Mm -hmm. make it all happen so by the end they were just like so shocked at how much went into it but it felt so good that we were all collaborating and that yeah, I took what they gave me and I just ran with it in the creative world. Yeah.
0: I guess you kind of learn a little bit about each of the businesses that you get to work with as yes. well, right? Yes. That's yeah. so cool.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What is um, your process of project management like? Because I find in my day job when you're working with clients, mm-hmm. even if you're editing or trying to produce or what whatever the other job titles are, so much of it is just like managing a client, and expectation, like the boring side of it. But I want to, like, how do you deal deal with that? Yeah. Um,
3: I weirdly, I think I just do that on a regular. Like, right. I've always done that in my life, weirdly. Like, I've You're always... You're just a hustler. <laughs> uh, okay, I get it. Got it. I've just always been the type to kind of over communicate in my emails and break it down to people and just... You know, lay it all out there. I have for Have so
2: much to learn from you.
3: <laughs> I just was always kind of the categorizing type, and I just, I love to organize kind of things. So wow. I, I enjoy that part. Weirdly, um, I just have such a system, and my mom's always she just looks at me and's like, okay, "Can you, can you please share how the heck you do this?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's so easy, like you know." It but I realized, eventually. yeah, it's not for everyone, and no.
2: yeah. So you just sort of already knew how to communicate constantly with clients and keep them apprised of what was going on. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever had a situation with like feedback going, taking something off the rails or are you, because you're communicating constantly, you're always on the same page? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think I'm trying to, I really do need
2: to take some notes. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, I don't remember what project it was, but I feel like there was a, time during my Humber time where I did like internships and stuff I think there was a time where there was miscommunication or there was some kind of client like not from the project I did but I witnessed kind of like you know what could happen and that you really don't want it to go that way that I think it just kind of scared me in that moment that that's I would never want it to go that way that I just thought if I'm laying it out along the way if they were upset at the end there shouldn't be a reason from my end that I did something wrong because we could go back to all of that and realize- Receipts. (laughs) Yes. Keep the (laughs) receipts. Exactly. And so if they weren't happy with it, we would readjust and, you know, make them happy, of course. But it wasn't from something like I wasn't giving them enough of. I think transparency is so key to clients.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Do you find um, that there's, sort of a big gap between uh, I don't know if they're corporate clients but paying clients and sort Mm -hmm. of the the dream jobs that you want to make like that fulfill you creatively because it sounds Mm -hmm. like you are being fulfilled creatively with these with the paying jobs but is Mm -hmm. there a gap there and do you ever see that gap closing um
3: yeah I think especially when starting a company it's very hard because you need to make money to run it and I think It's coming to terms with that at the beginning that I think I had a hard time at the beginning thinking, okay, this is not what I wanted. Like I wanted those passion projects. Right. But you have to be realistic that for me to make those and have that goal of what I would like the company to look like, I have to go through these steps. Mm -hmm. Um, And you learn from them. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's always good to have such different clients. So, you you know, you know how to deal with different people. And... Yeah, I think just knowing how to balance that, which I think is not easy for any human being, is just um, finding the good in any project. Like, you know, with the law firm, maybe that wouldn't be my ideal project, but I was like, the first pitch to her was like, let's make this more personal because Mm. there's so many law firm videos out there. Let's show a bit more of you. And she loved that. So it's Mm. like just finding how I enjoy making films and just seeing if the client Mm. will like my
2: approach to it right well they're coming to you for a reason and obviously it's they like your voice and vision so there's room for that yeah true um what does your career your dream career look like in 10 years oh my gosh (laughs) that's a big question it is a big question
3: um it's hard to think about where like what kind of projects I want to create in 10 years it's more the impact I want to have yeah like in within 10 years I want to be a person that does shine light on stories that aren't often told that creates films that are beyond just the film um that you know have a purpose um even in fiction films like you can always find something that's beyond the film um so I think the main thing is just I want to educate the world through the work I do, meaning I want the films I create to reflect the world we live in, in terms of diversity. Um, And just seeing uh, people being able to see themselves on screen, also hear stories that they would never normally hear. So I think the 10-year goal is just to continue to create films that have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's such a nice way of putting it. Thank you.
0: What was the last thing that you watched that made you kind of feel like that's kind of something I really want to make if, if anything, like the last thing that you, it could be show, movie, documentary, whatever that like kind of gave you the feeling that you would like to give onto someone else by watching something that you made. Mm.
3: Um, I think the last film that I really left, the movie theater with that just like stayed with me for a long time was lion
2: oh yeah mm. um i haven't seen that oh
3: it's so like it just i think i brought it up all the time mm-hmm. like to anyone who asks um it's just one of those films like lately if i'm in a movie theater i can usually predict the ending and i just i just don't like that it's just become so predictable
4: mm-hmm.
3: so that film i think just the whole time i didn't know how it was going to end and i just loved that like i was part of the journey um like it focuses on two brothers um who are live in india and they head out on a train and one of the the young boys left behind um because the big brother went off to do something and he goes on this whole long um train ride and you know gets lost and Long story short, he ends up being adopted, I think, by an Australian family or something like that. And it's just, it was just interesting to see um, such a different story, I guess, um, than the classic blockbuster kind Mm -hmm. of films. And just the ending was just really impactful to me. Um, Just how he was trying to balance his Australia culture with his family and then also... Trying to figure out where did he come from because he didn't know anything about India anymore because he was so young and it's just finding that balance of who he is in the world that he lives in now. So I find that was the last film where I was just like, wow, that was raw and Mm -hmm. that was real. And I think... That's what stuck with me. Is like I want to make films where it's like you just you leave the theater just like whoa. I just mm-hmm. I need a few days to yeah. you know think about it. Well,
0: that's a really good answer.
2: You sold me. I'll watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's brand new. Yeah. it came out a while ago, didn't it? <laughs> uh, it's Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. of it. I just have to sit down and watch it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming mm, on. Th- thank and you. This was. Thank you truly inspiring for me and I've learned so much from talking with you and I will be emailing you for like specific <laughs> okay. questions where can <laughs> we find you oh yes
3: like on anomaly films no what's your home address oh yeah, yeah of course so it's <laughs> you have um a p.o box <laughs> yeah and phone number and sin number yeah. as well mm-hmm. okay um so The company is anomalyfilms.ca, so you can head there, or on Instagram, it's anomaly.to.
2: Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me.